coming in, an expectation of you, Holy Spirit, to, to be here and to, to do a work this morning. In, in that time of prayer, I also realized that um, yeah, the enemy would be at, at work as well to try to distract and destroy um, what the Spirit is trying to do. And, and Father, I know that we've already sensed that and see that. Um, but God, we know that your spirit is greater than anything else and that you, Holy Spirit, um, are able to work in the most difficult of moments and difficult of times. Um, and that, that this morning is, is my prayer. That you, Holy Spirit, uh, come and as you are already here and there's an expectation, Father, that, that, um, that something massive for your glory is going to happen this morning. That, that you're going to shake lives and 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 break uh, bonds and, and that things are going to be changed because we we come expecting God you to do that because you're a God who who changes our, our hearts you're a God who sovereignly works in our lives and so we ask that this morning God give me words to say this morning let me be very clear in um, this passage this morning give me um, the heart that you want me to have, the mouth that you want me to have, um, and, and God, that I may speak with um, gospel clarity this morning. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Um, this morning, um, we're going to be look to, looking to Luke chapter 15. Uh, we're we're going to take a week um, out of, of Acts this morning. Um, a, because I think this, this passage fits well within the book of Acts and what we've been thinking about and going through. And so um, so I think this is just a, a really good passage to, to take a look at. It's a passage that, that most of us, uh, if we've been in church at any length of time, will be familiar with. It's the, the, the passage of the prodigal son. Um, it's the passage that um, uh, where um, oftentimes we, we focus in on the younger son, but in all honesty, there's, there's two prodigals in, in this story, and the story is actually not about either prodigal. It's actually about the father. One of the things you, you need, we need to understand is this. Anytime Jesus taught a parable, there was normally one or two truths, most of the time just one truth that is found in a parable. It, it didn't have many meanings or many things. It was one or two truths that were coming out of the parable. And this morning we, we have uh, really two truths that are coming out of it, and it's this idea of, of grace and love. So the Father has grace and love for both prodigals. And so um, I've titled this sermon, A Gospel-Driven Church, A Story of Homecoming. I've got a thesis statement, and it's this. A gospel-driven church will have the love of the Father for prodigals. And a gospel-driven church will be passionate and active about reaching prodigals. As we walk through the book of Acts, we've been walking through, um, through the early church and the foundation of the early church, and we've got to Saul's conversion. And as we went through chapter 10, we've seen Cornelius' conversion. And now the gospels went from the Jews to the Samaritans to the Gentiles. We see how God is at work, how the Father <coughs> is at work. And I believe this story, um, this teaching parable is a beautiful picture of that this morning. In Rembrandt's, the famous painter's,
painting of, of this story, the return of the prodigal. Uh, we see a painting with a, with, that has a beautiful picture of repentance and the Father's love. If you ever get a chance, or I would actually challenge you today when you get home uh, to, to Google the, the, the return of the prodigal son by Rembrandt. And when you begin to look at the painting, what you'll begin to see is you'll begin to see the father, uh, the son bent down in front of the father, and the father have a compassionate, caring, graceful look on the son. But you will also see, because of the way the son is bent down to the father, you see a heart of repentance. What we need to understand is Rembrandt painted this, this painting late in his life. And most historians believe that Rembrandt painted this late in life because he began to understand what it meant to be a prodigal. Rembrandt was um, early in his life was very much uh, had wealth and was very much a showman. He would wear some fancy hats and some fancy things, and and he was considered um, a, a, for a long time a great painter. But he was flamboyant about his lifestyle. And, and all of a sudden, it began to crash. His life began to crash. He lost multiple children to death. He lost his wife to death. Then remarried, lost more children. And ultimately, he had lost everything. Matter of fact, he, at that time, instead of painting things for wealth, he was painting things to pay off debtors. And it was late in his life he began to realize what he missed early in life. And so most historians believe that as Rembrandt is painting this beautiful picture of the prodigal son, he is seeing himself in, in the painting as the prodigal. It's an absolutely beautiful picture. And so if you have a chance, go, go look at it. Just Google the return of the prodigal son by Rembrandt. If you, if you love to read, pick up a book by Henry Nouwen called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And, and, and Nouwen takes this prodigal and he unpacks the prodigal uh, by looking at the painting and thinking through it and spending hours upon hours staring at it and allowing this story, this parable, to, to dive deep inside of him. And so here's my prayer this morning, just in the time that I have, that, that we will allow this story to dive deep within inside of us. Because in all reality, they're, they're, um, most of us have been one of the two prodigals, if not both of them. The first prodigal is one who's lost, and the second prodigal is lost too, but lost in religiousness. And ultimately, what we see is one heart of repentance, and that's the younger son. And so this morning, we're going to break the passage into three, three sections. The first section is the rejection of God. The second section is redemption of the Father. And the third uh, section is going to be the false gospel of law. And so as we unpack this passage, that's where we're going. And so if you have a Bible this morning, turn again to Luke chapter 15. And let's start in verse 11 and read through the end of the chapter. And so here's what God's Word says. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV this morning. Um, and here's what he says. And he said to him, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, um, said to his father, Father, give me the share of 
property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to, to, to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and he came to his father. But while, excuse me, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this son, uh, this my son was dead and was alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered him, answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. When the son, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him and said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. Father, again, this is your word for the people of God. May you give uh, all the increase and may you be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing we want to look at this morning is, is our beginning, the rejection of God. The rejection of God. What we, what we begin to see here is, is that sinner, sin entered humanity at the fall. And because of that, we are all children of, of Adam. And because of that, our beginning is one of rejection and lostness. Paul writes the following in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, and so death spreads to all men because all sinned. In our text this morning, in this parable, what we find is that this young man rejects the father. He, he rejects everything about the father. This is not just a rejection of the father of saying, Dad, I've had enough. I'm 18 years old. I'm ready to be on my own. 
so uh, let me go do what I want to do. Give me enough money to survive. That's not the rejection that the younger son is saying. Matter of fact, that would be a kind rejection. Any of us who have been parents, and those of you who have been parents of, of those kids who have, have left home, uh, we have seen in ministry, I have seen those sons and daughters who at 18 says, I am done, I'm out of here, I do not want to be in this house any longer, and I will see you later, and they leave. That's a kind, as difficult as it is, that's kind compared to what's going on here. Because actually what, what the younger son is saying actually to the father is this, Dad, I want what's mine, which is a third of all that he had, all the father had. I want what's mine, and because of that, I need you dead. I need you to die. Because that's the way they got it. But his father was, 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 was compassionate upon him and said, All right, son, you, you want to go away? You, you want away from this? I'll give you a third of everything. That's a different kind of understanding, isn't it, of rejection. He's saying, it's not just, I'll see you later. It, it's, Dad, I want you you're gone. I want you dead so I can have all mine and do what I want and not worry about what you say. So the dad gives him that. The father gives him his third. And, and, and the Bible says here that, that it, uh, in a short period of time, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had had and took it on a journey with him what we need to understand here is that when the father would have given him a third of things he would have given him a third of everything he had which meant it would have meant land which would have meant animals servants everything that's how they gave away things and so what would have happened here is the son couldn't take land with him could he so he would have sold all of this off he would have liquidated it all so that he could have cash in his pocket and so, so he, he liquidates everything that his dad had, sells it, gets rid of it. says, I don't even want to see this stuff. And he says, not only do I want out of your, my, your house, Dad, I don't want to just go down the other side of town, but I, I want far away from you. And, and it says he went on a long journey. He, he ran as far from the father as he thought he could run without having to worry about his father influencing him. He, he runs. He is in total rejection of the father. Complete, utter rejection. All of us would be broken with this kind of rejection, would we not? This is the rejection that we give to God in our sinful nature. This is how we are born. We are born with this kind of nature that we want to, we want to do what we want with ourselves. Paul unpacks this in Romans chapter 1 when he begins to talk about as sin enters into us, as sin is, is in us from birth, how we, if, if, if we don't see the Holy Spirit and don't have our eyes open to what God does, we move down path after path after path till we get total rejection of, of God. And ultimately, if it's not by God's grace and God's goodness, all of us will, will travel to a road of total, utter rejection of God. 
that's what happened here. This, this young man said, I'm done. I want out. And so he leaves. He goes out. And, and what's the story begin to tell us to do? He went out and, and, he, and he spent all of his money. He, he wasted it away. He celebrated away. He, he partied it away. How many times have we heard story or read stories of someone becoming wealthy or, or someone becoming famous and, and all of a sudden they get caught up in the party life and they, they, they do that, they do that, they do that and all of a sudden when it's all gone, what happens? They're bankrupt and nobody's there. Matter of fact, let me make this even more practical. If we're not careful, this is how we send our kids off to college that they go off under good homes and good settings, and all of a sudden they go off to college. We send them off to college. We send them off to a place, and all of a sudden what happens? They get involved in, in sororities and fraternities and all these things. And I'm not saying those things are, are necessarily evil, but they get involved in all those kind of things, and all of a sudden the party life becomes the life that they live. And that one student that was once an A student who who exceeded on the ACT and SAT student, now becomes a student who is barely in college. Who, matter of fact, if they don't turn it around the next semester, they are going to be expelled from school. Over and over and over we see this. Because we, we reject, when we go off, oftentimes we reject everything that we have been grounded in. That's the, the young son here. He's rejected all the truth that had been taught into him. Why? Because the truth wasn't deep inside of him. It was only head knowledge. Christianity is not just about knowing facts, but it's allowing things to dive deep within inside of us to transform the way that we live. And that's not what happened here with this young son at this point. And so he's partied away, and then he finds himself finds himself feeding the pigs. He finds himself in literally in the pig pen. Bottom. And he, what he finds there is not only is he at the bottom, but he has no food for himself. And he's desiring to eat what the pigs were eating. But he couldn't eat it. Couldn't digest it. He was starving as food was being fed to animals. He's just starving. Here is true application of this text. This life that we are born into, we are born with this idea and this concept and this darkness with inside of us because of Adam that we reject the gospel. And so when we begin to see people around us, when we begin to look at the world, when we begin to look at things as Christians, what we need to understand is that every person in lostness, more than likely, if there is no church religious background, 
they are the young son. They are rejecting the gospel. They are rejecting God. And it's because of their nature. And here's what we have to do. We have to, to, to be there for them, yes, but we also need to be praying that God would let them see the bottom so that repentance will come. That's a difficult place to pray, isn't it? Whoa. I got to silence my phone this morning. That's what, that was one of our newlyweds, Heather, actually texting me. Text back. Everybody says, happy marriage. Um, but no, that's, that's the lostness of people. And the reality is, is the world um, ultimately will become the pig pen for them. But so often we don't pray for people to hit rock bottom, do we? What do we pray for? They hit, well, they, yeah, they, they go up. But so often... It takes us to hit rock bottom. And our rock bottom, our pig pen may look completely different. For some rock bottom, some pig pens are, are waking up and not knowing where they're at because of, of drunkenness. And that's the, the, the rock bottom. Others are, are, are rock bottom just because of something simple they said hits them and they say, Oh God, I, I, I can't do this without you. Rock bottom for all of us looks different. But what needs to happen is, is people need to hit rock bottom. The great reformer Martin Luther once said this, the recognition of sin is the beginning of salvation. I, I want to read that again. Th this is a key quote to understanding something. The recognition of sin is the beginning of salvation. Someone can't come to Christ if they don't recognize what sin is. Sin is complete rejection and disobedience to God. It's not a bad thing. Bad people don't go to hell and good people go to heaven. That's not the way it works. Lost people go to heaven whether they're good or bad, or hell, excuse me. Lost people go to hell whether they're good or bad. Redeemed people go to heaven whether they've been good or bad because Christ has transformed them. Our goodness will never make it. And sometimes the bottom is realizing that our goodness is not satisfactory. And so the young son sees this. And here's our mission as a church. It's to be a place for this kind of prodigal. We've lived in a unique place in America where church has been the culture, where Christianity's been the culture. But if you go around the world, that's not the culture. It's very different. It's very secular. It's, it's, it's radically different. And so as the church, what we have to be is we have to be a place where this kind of prodigal can come in and can sense and see the depths of sin because they're not going to see it out there. They're only going to see what sin is when they enter into relationships in places like this. And so the mission of the church is to be a place of compassion, love, and prayer for lostness 
and hitting the rock bottom. We must be, have a heart of brokenness over lostness around us and with an expectation of transformation that comes. So first thing is this rejection of God, our beginning. It's where the young son's at. Secondly, we find in verses 20 through, verse 20 through 24, love and grace, redemption of the Father. In verses 20 through 24, what we see is, is this. We see that, that the son has, has realized he's, he's hit rock bottom. He said, all right, all right um, my, my dad's servants have it better than I do. His slaves have it better than I do. Um, at least they have food. They have a place to live. They have cleaner clothes. They have things. Servanthood and slavehood, uh, slavery in my dad's house is better than what I've got it right now. And God, I have sinned against you and I've sinned against my dad. And I hope for a little bit of grace to be a slave. That, that's his, that becomes his heart. Let me say something. That, that's a true heart of repentance. But when we come to Christ, our hearts is not, God, make me your son. I just want to be a servant, God. We accept me as a servant. I sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. But we accept me as a servant. That's how we come to Christ. That's how we should come to Christ. Because we have no right to be his son. Can I say? Let me take a step back into point one again for just a second. One of the things that happened here is the son gave up his sonship rights. He no longer has the family name. Truel is our family name. If I give that up or we give that up, that comes with all the character and all the things that, that Truel is for the years on my side have developed. That the son gives away this name. His sonship is gone. And he cannot earn it back. There's nothing he can do to earn this back. And he knows that. For us in our culture, we think that when we mess up, soon as we repent, we can go back to where we were at. That's a wrong heart to have. We don't go back to where we're at. We can't earn that way back. But, it's, it's, but it can be given back to us. Which brings to point two. The son begins to come home. And the father is not just... The father hasn't forgotten the son. When you read verses 20 through 24 like we read just a minute ago, what we begin to see is as the father sees him at a great distance, the father does something. The father is actively working, praying, seeking this younger son. He is looking for him. He is knowing there is an expectation that God is going to do something. Because the father here is the father in heaven. 
And when God works, when God has a will, when God in his sovereignty actively seeks after us, guess what happens? He finds us and draws us back. And so the father here is is actively looking for the son. He is actively seeking the son. And when, when the son is a long distance away, the father sees him and the father does something uncharacteristic. He runs to his son and embraces his son. And and the son begins this explanation of, of, Dad, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm sorry. I just want to be a servant. And the dad says, um, he doesn't even look at the son. He, He tells his servants, go get the fatted calf. Go get the ring. Go get the robe. Go get the shoes. My son who was lost and dead is now back. I am restoring him to sonship right now. The father didn't have to do that. But this is God our father. That he restores us to sonship and daughtership. When we are unworthy of it. Just a few weeks ago in, in my first semester of class of teaching at Samford, we were talking about fallen angels. And here's the reality. There is no difference in the fallenness of angels and the fallenness of us other than, than two things. One, we are created in the image of, of the Father and of God, uh, the Trinity. And secondly, God desired to save us. God could have done the same thing he did to the angels and said, you disobeyed, you sinned, I am not giving you repentance or forgiveness. God has every right to do that. God had every right to remove his image-bearing status upon us. Because we said, Adam and Eve said, I do not want to be the son and daughter of God. I want to be God myself. When Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't go to him, did they? Who came found them? God. The Father goes actively after the Son. Over and over in ministry, I have told parents this, as difficult as it is, sometimes you have to let your son and daughter go, but let them go praying with an expectation that God's going to do something, but be waiting on the front door for them to return. And when they return, don't let them get to the door before you get to them. Hit them in the driveway. Put the sonship and daughtership back upon them. What an act of grace as the church of Jesus Christ. This is what Christ does for us, and this is what we should be doing to to our community and those who are around us. We should be looking to the community, actively standing on the front door of the church, looking, praying, front doors of our houses, looking, praying, and saying, God, you're drawing people. And when they come, say, God wants you to be his son and daughter again, and I'm an instrument of grace. I am the robe of righteousness because I'm going to share Christ with you. I am... I'm able to give you that ring because Christ has given me that ring. That's us. That's God doing that through us. 
And that's what the father did. He, 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 he killed the fatted calf. He, he, he did everything. He put sonship back upon the son. And here's the glorious news. When God puts sonship back upon us, it's not that he forgets what we did in the past because God can't forget it. He does something greater than forgetting. He forgives it. Because guess what happens if I forget something? One day if I remember it, guess what way I remember it? The bad way. But when it's when I forgive somebody, guess what happens? They are made right in my eyes again. And we, can I make a side note here, statement? From, this is, I think, from the Holy Spirit. If we forgive somebody, we tell them verbally, I forgive you, and then we continue to hold a grudge over them, no longer is the sin upon them, but it's upon us. We are now the sinner in that. God is unable to do that. So when he forgives, it's done. And so there is confession here. But Paul says this, here's the beautiful thing, what happens, and here's what, what happened to this son. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul writes this, he goes, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It is because of Christ that he wraps himself around us. He imputes, here's a big word, big church word, he imputes, which means he puts on his righteousness. Uh, Luther, also the great reformer, used to say this is what's called the great switch. He gives us his righteousness and takes away our unrighteousness. That's what's happening here. The father is saying, I am making you a son again. The mission of the church is to be an agent of grace and love for the father. And just as the father received the brokenness and lostness of this son, we must be willing to receive the brokenness and lostness that comes from the community. We must be an agent of love and grace by being the hearts, the hands, and the feet of Jesus Christ. I wish the story ended here. I wish the parable would end here because it would end on a happy note, would it not? But, but Jesus, because of who he's talking to, the Pharisees, he continues the parable. And here's the dangerous thing for me. Mo I, what I realize as a pastor whether it's speaking to youth, children, or adults, doesn't matter. Most of us have experienced, yes, being the younger son, if, if, if we've come to Christ. We've had to because we've been lost at some point. Here's the problem. Most weeks I'm preaching um, to people in the audience are the older sons who are just as lost because they're religious. They're not relational. That's why I've titled the third point this, Judgment and condemnation of false gospel. Judgment and condemnation, a false gospel. So, so there's partying going on. This partying's good for this son, younger son. The first partying he did was not. 
older brother begins to, he walks up, he begins to hear something going on. In verses 25 through 31, we see this older brother, and he, and he grabs a servant and he says, hey, what in the world is going on at the house? And the servant says, hey, your, your younger brother is back, and your dad has given him sonship again. He's killed the fatted calf. He's put the robe back on him. He's put the ring back on him. He, he, he's, he's done this. An older brother does what we do in religion. He gets mad and angry. He says he is lost and he abandoned us. He is not worthy to have that and here's the thing his anger at first is at the son but soon will turn to the father so the dad comes out the dad actively seeking the younger son is the same way to the older son he's actively seeking him so the dad comes out the father comes out and he says son come in your son that was once lost is now alive Come in and celebrate with us. I, I have brought him back into sonship. And the older brother says this, Dad, he abandoned us. He said our name, our lives were not worth this. And the dad said, but he's lost. He's back. My son is back. And here is where the older brother's anger turns to the father. Not only did the younger brother say, Dad, I want you dead, the older brother eventually says the same thing. He says, Dad, I've served you well, and you've never given me any of this. You've never gave me a, a, a calf for my friend. You're not, I'm, I don't want you, is what he's saying. I don't want you. Say, John, how do you know that? Because it doesn't say that in the text. I know that because I know who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to the Pharisees. And over and over again, they continually say, I don't want you. I don't want the Messiah. I want what I have. Over and over and over again, that's what they say. But the Father here is compassionate. But Paul writes this, these words in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. As it is written, none is righteousness, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless, and no one does good, not even one. I wrote this after I wrote that sentence. When we allow a religious heart to drive us, our works become a, become a product of the law and we become the older brother. When we focus on works and the law and become judgmental, and condemning, we become 
the older brother. But thankfully, the father continues to come and give redemption. The mission of the church is this. Not to be a place of religion, but to be a place of relationship and worship of the grace and love of the Father. To be a place that receives and welcomes the sinners who have come home, not to be judged, but to be forgiven. The reality is that without Christ, we are all prodigals in need of returning home. And the church is the place where the redeeming message is lived out and proclaimed. And so as I close, I've got a few points of takeaway application and then a challenge. One is this. Making disciples of all prodigals must be of utmost importance for the church. Making disciples of all prodigals those whom bother us and we seem unworthy is is those we need to go after. We need to have a brokenness for prodigals. Secondly, Christians should be a people of compassion and justice as the Father was. Yes, we stand for truths and things that are right. Our responsibility is not to judge the lost, but to give compassion to the lost. People quote this, the Bible says don't judge. That's not true. The Bible doesn't say that. Actually, the Bible speaks of Christians holding each other accountable to speak into each other's lives. But the problem is is we, we try to hold lost people to the standard of Christ, and that's That should never happen because lost people will never meet the standard of Christ. And when we do that, what we're asking them to do is allow their works to match Christ. And that will never happen. And so we look at them with compassion and grace, just as we do our brothers and sisters. Matter of fact, Jesus says about judgment, he says, take the, the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of someone else's. What Jesus is saying there in that passage is this. He's not saying you can't, can't speak to somebody and, and talk about them becoming more like Christ. What he's saying is have a heart of repentance, have a heart of prayer. Make sure that your life is where it needs to be before you speak to somebody else. That, that's what Jesus is actually saying. And so thirdly, we have a, a commission here. We have Christians should, should seek to display God's glory in the way they live their lives together as a body and a part in life. So should, we should display God's glory in everything we do. And then fourthly, of takeaway application points is this. To belong to a church is to belong to a worship-driven and mission-sending group. We don't go on mission because Jesus said go on mission. We go on mission because we worship Jesus. And in worshiping Jesus, he sends us. So I thought he said go into the nations and baptize them. He said that after they had went to worship him. 
If you actually look at Matthew chapter 28, they worship him first, then he sends them. So here's, here's the challenge, here's the invitation. If you don't know Christ as Redeemer, if you're, you're either the older son or the younger son, you're either in religion or in lostness, Christ is calling you home. And the party of the world has no comparison to the party of Christ. The party of the world looks glorious and grand. But the part of the world will only lead to deeper and deeper pig pens and ultimately to the grave. That party is where you will head, where I would head without Christ. If we're an older son, religion doesn't save. The law was not to save. The law was to point to lostness. The law said that we couldn't make it, but Christ made a way. And so if you're a believer and a member of this body this morning, we are about the business of the Father, and that's calling prodigals home and sharing and living out the gospel in a community life. And so as a worship team, Penny, whoever coming up to, to lead in response, you often hear me say this, and you don't have to do business um, here at, at this these these pews at the front, but oftentimes I think it's a good place to come because it it's a good place to to have people come and pray with us at. This morning, the reality is we have prodigals sitting in this this room right now. Prodigals on both ends. The Church of Jesus Christ. May we give compassion and grace on both ends. Let's give compassion and grace as the Father did. And, and sometimes that's the hardest thing in the world to do. But that's what we're called to do. And so, Father, I pray that you would draw men and women, boys and girls, to, to you this morning. Whether it's to pray for a lost loved one, a friend, a family member. Father, or one who is in this room who is a prodigal, Father, that, that needs Christ. Holy Spirit, I am trusting and believing and knowing you actually can rock somebody's world at the, at the pig pen. Matter of fact, you, you can put them in the pen right this moment. And so, God, I'm asking you to do that. God, for those who are uh, maybe religious uh, as the older brother that you would uh, rock them, that they wouldn't be angry at you and angry um, at the church or and angry at what the church is, but they would see Christ. God, I wish this parable ended with a, the older brother asked for forgiveness and was made right with the younger son, the brother. But that's not where it ends. And that's a reminder to me, Father, that not all things end well. Just as Jonah, the end of the book of Jonah, Jonah stands angry. Father, it's okay to be there. So God, I'm asking you to draw. I'm asking you to work. And we give this unto you in Christ's name.
stand and sing in response as people's already responding. May you respond. Maybe you want to pray with those who are praying. Maybe you want to come to Christ. Maybe whatever it may be, may let God draw you unto himself.